Another one of those worlds in sports production is back to attack the whack that would insist in the fact that my podcast ain't all that. A notion or a narrative based on the imperative that you don't listen to the most entertaining sports talk podcast around giving verbal sounds and thoughts about the everyday of sports and other issues it surrounds and the love of my life, the basketball program on O Street at the University of Georgetown. Motivated by the deeds of the legend, trailblazer, and icon basketball coach, the Hoyas John Thompson, I'm stomping out the nonsensical and absurd as my spoken word concerning the current sports topics are layered in strength and beliefs to give the unprepared and non-talented so much heartache and so much grief. So they must cease and stop because in this competition, you can and have no chance to supplant the podcast that scores more than Kevin Durant. I terminate the haters like I was Magic Johnson in the Showtime LA Lakers. Koopa loop the dupes and dopes without any chance for hope to cope with this podcasting superstar. I'll be big game James Worthy to treat you like you were Robert Parrish. And I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, making strides and improvements in my craft like I was Jalen Hurts, making your idea to go against me the worst. So don't rehearse a podcast thinking that you can come in first. Any verbal fight, I'll be as tough as Ty Domi with more ways to score than Andrew Tony. So if you know me, you better show me the respect I deserve before your ass gets served. So swerve in another direction and take your tag team partner, Keith Lee, with you. Because if you don't let it be, I'll see that your beatdown won't be an issue. So vicious and malicious when you leave the premises full of blemishes. No one in the podcasting world is going to miss you. So whether it's opinions about the Major League Baseball playoffs, the NBA season, Brett Favre's crime and betrayal that you're laying them in jail, going up against me in the words of Ric Flair, you be the man. You've got to beat the man. Wendell's World in Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, and anyhow. You listen to your favorite Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roy, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in the state of California. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in the state of Nevada. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in my hometown, the DMV of Washington, Maryland, the District of Columbia. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Pale Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Ontario. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Pakistan. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Indonesia. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast anywhere on the globe. I thank you so doggone much. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I'm recording this on a Sunday night about, I don't know, about three minutes outside of the Kansas City football team beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The last time I checked, it was 41 to 31. As I mentioned before, it was about 
Oh, with about three minutes left, so I'm going to uh, go on the notion, I'm going to go on the assumption that uh, Patrick Mahomes can get the job done and uh, finish off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to uh, really, I, I, I guess you could say, man, we've been, what, four weeks into the NFL season so far? Is this performance by Kansas City the best out of anything you've seen so far in the uh, in the regular season? We'll, we'll go ahead and discuss that. I want to get this out of the way. Got a long trip this week. Heading up to uh, Mesquite, homecoming week for the folks. So, you know, I got to go ahead and do my thing. There's a couple of kids. There's a couple of students. There's a couple of my buddies who are getting ready this week to get their homecoming groove on and do that type of thing. So Mr. Wallace is going to have to uh, go ahead and let them listen to a little James Brown. Have them listen to a little Otis Redding. Have them listen to a little Sade. Have them listen to a little Aretha Franklin. Have them listen to a little Isley Brothers. You know, to get that, to get them groove going. I got to teach them the one-two, baby. Because a couple of folks that I'm talking about, Mr. Collins and Mr. A.M., I'm counting on those kids, <coughs> counting on my boys to um, do um, do it right on Saturday night in terms of being gentlemen, in terms of showing their, their I don't know if you want to call them dates, but showing their, their partners a really good time. So uh, this week I got my work cut out for me. So I'm just going to go ahead and preempt the game between the Buccaneers and the um, Kansas City football team to uh, go ahead and get this done in terms of what is happening in the world of sports and what's really happening in the world of football. This is going to be a football-centric type of podcast. I'm going to uh, just mainly focus on what's happening week four of the NFL and week five of uh, college football. Not ready just yet. This week, I'm going to uh, dedicate myself in terms of sports is concerned to uh, really get sports Bed up, caught up to date, get where I can be in my uh, happy place in my comfort zone in terms of my confidence level being high and speaking about what's happening in the NBA. Um, as you know, if you don't know, let me explain to you, you know, when I normally talk about sports and when I normally categorize sports and I try to put them in terms of a relationship, you know, I always say that in terms of my love for sports, my favorite team without, you know, till till death do us part, my favorite team till the day that I die is going to be the college basketball program uh, of the Georgetown Hoyas. Biggest, longest um, fan of theirs. Love the Hoyas. Love John Thompson. Loved everybody from John Bebe Dern to Eric Sleepy Floyd to Patrick Ewing to Michael Jackson. Not hee hee, but the point guard, that 1984 basketball championship squad at Georgetown. You know, everything as far as Georgetown is concerned, the legendary coach John Thompson, that's my love, that's my heart, that's my soul, that's my everything. When it comes to my love and my passion and my devotion for not just basketball or not just the NBA, not just for college basketball, but for just sports in general. That was before anything else, before the football team in Washington, D.C., before anything else, which shaped me to become a huge sports fan. I want to do this in terms of speaking about sports and giving my thoughts and opinions about sports and putting together a podcast and my broadcasting career, which lasted, which is going on, I don't know, reaching about 20 years or so. This, the, the genesis of all this, going in this particular avenue to uh, broadcast what I'm talking about, what I'm saying, giving my opinions, all layered in the foundation, which was growing up in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Maryland-born and <clears throat> Maryland-bred, and when I die, I'll be Maryland-dead, even though I'm out here living in 
uh, the northwest side of Las Vegas, Nevada. But, you know, growing up in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, while everybody was going to be that Washington Redskins football fan, I was always geared toward the Georgetown Hoyas and basketball, which led to my love for the Showtime Lakers with Magic Johnson and led to my love, above all, for the game of basketball and playing the game of basketball, playing to the level that I did and having the dreams and aspirations to play for Coach Thompson at Georgetown and play for the Los Angeles Lakers when I was uh, when I was a young kid, you know, playing in the NBA and such. So, uh, yeah, man. So, basically, what, what I'm trying to say is that uh, because even though the NBA season has started and even though if you listen to my promos, I express my love for the Georgetown Hoyas that I really haven't spoke, spoken about them that much. Um, I have to have to respect the listener and such and quote-unquote play the hits, but um, I'm going to be bringing up my Georgetown Hoyas. I'm going to be bringing up the NBA, the start of the NBA season. It's going to be now coming up in a couple of weeks this month. The preseason NBA game starts, so I'm really excited about that. My wifey, shall we say, is coming back home because if you go ahead and you try to a list, or you try to explain, or you try to familiarize, or you try to give uh, some type of, uh, you know, correlation in terms of my love for sports. The NBA is my wifey, the NFL is my sidekick, and everything else just kind of falls into place. College football is my other sidekick, but uh, yeah, I'll always be married to the NBA. That doesn't mean that when she leaves, I don't cheat on her with the NFL or college uh, football and such, or college basketball and such, but, uh, you know, when we're speaking about the NBA in terms of my love, in terms of what I am devoted to in terms of sports is concerned, yes, I'm going, I'm reaching for the top, even though I have a champ, I have a Pepsi-Cola taste, a Pepsi-Cola face to go with champagne taste, that yes, the NBA, as far as my love is concerned, my wifey is concerned, that is my Halle Berry, that is my Layla Roshan, that is my Monica Bellucci, that is my Selma Hayek, that is the cream of the crop, shall we say, in terms of uh, what I think about the NBA. So yes, all of this rambling is to say that I will be speaking about what's happening in the NBA, I will be speaking about what's going to be going on in the uh, prognostications of who's going to be doing what and who's going to be playing well and who's going to be a surprise. And I'm going to be speaking about my Washington Wizards and all that good stuff. But like I said, I just want to be super, super confident and super, super up to date because I've been concentrating so much on the king of all sports here in North America, the NFL, which I'm going to be speaking about Right now, here on Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that you could be with us. Oh yeah, I forgot, by the way, I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast, Amazon, iHeart, iTunes, anywhere where you listen to your uh, favorite podcast. As always, if you could do me a favor, if you like what you're listening to, go ahead, subscribe, download, rate, review, the most unique an entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could do that, man, that would be fantastic. And take it up another level. If you want to see how this is done and you want to see how the podcast is put together in a different form with different takes and different ideas, to go over to my YouTube channel. That's Wendell's World of Sports. And um, go ahead and bring that up. And if uh, you uh, like what you're listening to and uh, like what you see, Again, speaking to the single ladies between the ages of uh, 42 and 49. Yeah, yo. If you like what you see uh, and you listen to, uh, go ahead and subscribe to my channel and uh, like the video. Leave a comment. Do all those good things. I would appreciate that. All right, here we go. 
Biggest games of the week. Let me see. We've got the Dallas Cowboys over the Washington Commanders. My Washington Commanders. You had Philadelphia winning ugly over Jacksonville to remain undefeated. You had Buffalo taking again the victory while Baltimore was snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. And everybody's going nuts and everybody's going crazy. And most people don't understand that the decision of the Ravens head coach, John Harbaugh, at the end of the game to go for it on fourth down. And, of course, we have the rematch of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago between the Kansas City football team and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All those things are great. All of those things are fantastic. Interesting games. I can say even past that, I mean, you had the high-scoring game involving the uh, Detroit Lions. You had the New York Jets now going 2-2 two and two with their victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers. You had the Steelers making a move in terms of changing quarterbacks. Mr. Trubisky out. Can he pick it in? I don't know, man. What did that really symbolize? Are we speaking about a situation where the change of quarterback for Pittsburgh gives them the best chance to win? Or this is this a situation where, look, we're looking for Pickett to be a long-term quarterback, and the sooner we start the process to figure out if he can be that, the better. So we're not really going to be doing anything in terms of uh, winning a Super Bowl or doing anything like that, even though franchises, organizations, players themselves will tell you that you do everything that you can to uh, win a football game, and it's a week-to-week basis, really a day-to-day basis with the preparation and everything, because in the NFL, it means not for long, if you uh, can't get it done. So when you're speaking about other teammates, other players, other brothers on your team that are, um, you know, having a situation where, hey, man, you know, this, I'm, I'm, I'm up for free agency or, you know, my future is unclear if we go ahead and, and make this decision. I, I don't know exactly in what direction the Pittsburgh Steelers, some organizations, when you're speaking about the Steelers, some organizations, when you're speaking about the Green Bay Packers, some organizations who are steeped, in historical greatness and the consistency to be uh, competitors for championships, division championships, conference championships, Super Bowl championships. They don't like to use that term rebuilding. They just don't like that. They don't like to go into the quote-unquote tank. Some franchises, that's exactly what they would be doing, or that would be exactly the signal they, they would be giving after four games that they would go ahead and, and make this decision. Mitchell Trubisky wasn't bad. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't great either. He was boringly, steadily, consistently just average. And if you're the Steelers, is average going to get us in a place where we can win a Super Bowl, even though we have a really good defense, one of the best defenses in the league? No. So I'm going to be guessing that it was Tomlin's decision and others in the organization's uh, decision based on practice, based on film study, and just based on just talent and the you know, projection of uh, what the quarterback position is going to be, not just for this season for the Steelers, but in seasons beyond that. They said, let's just go ahead and let's uh, just make that move. And Pickett was, wasn't bad. Let's put it this way. He didn't throw an incomplete pass. He was 10 of 13, and the three passes that were quote-unquote incompleted, they were in interceptions, interceptions. So he was either throwing it to his team or the other team. So no incompletion. So that's a that's a half that's a glass half full, glass half empty uh, scenario, if you want to uh, put it that way. So yeah, so we have a lot of stuff going on in the uh, in the NFL and such. The disappointing season for the Indianapolis Colts continue losing to the Tennessee Titans. We have the Las Vegas Raiders winning their first game of the season. It's interesting because 
They beat the Denver Broncos. They beat them out here at the Legion Stadium. And it's interesting because if you take a look at the two teams and you didn't know what their records were, you would just go on the assumption that the Las Vegas Raiders were the ones with the better record. And that the Denver Broncos, especially if you watch them play uh, against the Seattle Seahawks and against the San Francisco 49ers, one of those games they actually won that you would be sitting there up there talking about, well, yeah, if I didn't know the records and I didn't know the past history, I'd be sitting up here thinking that, yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders were the team that was the better squad and they were the ones that would have a better record. But no, Denver, despite all of their miscues, Denver, despite not playing well, Denver, despite the franchise quarterback, Russell Wilson, who was acquired by the Broncos in the trade this offseason with the uh, Seattle Seahawks and then signing a six-year extension, which is going to pay him over $225 million. So far, is it clicking? But it's the Raiders who made their own offseason splash in terms of acquisitions are concerned when they went out and they traded for Devontae Adams to be reunited and it feels so good with Derek Carr that uh, they would be the ones with the better record. But after four games, hey, you know, that's that's the way it is. That's the way it goes. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. So let's check out some of the games of importance, shall we? Let's go ahead and take a look at, the, of course, the Dallas Cowboys, 25-10 winner, winner over my Washington Commanders. Um, Washington stinks. Their offensive line is putrid. Carson Wentz is a joke. We have very good skill players. Admirable skill players. At, you have Logan Thomas at the uh, tight end. We have two, you know, average to above average wide receivers. We have Antonio Gibson at the running back situation. It's just that we have a quarterback who stinks. And man, I tell you, man, I tell you, it, it, it's pretty funny because this goes back years ago. Ron Rivera going into a third season. Yes, I mentioned on my last podcast last uh, Monday the fact that, hey, man, maybe we should start putting a chip into our pocket to be pulling out somewhere down the road as far as going on the discussion, having the discussion whether Ron Rivera should remain the head coach of the Washington um, Commanders. Still too early to have that conversation, but the way that the season is going right now for Washington, I mean, this is a situation where this is not I, I, this is not going to be working out if it continues to go this way, even though, you know, we're speaking about Rivera who signed a five-year contract that the end of this season is going to be the end of year three. I think it's time to have that conversation if the season goes awry, which unfortunately I think that's the betterment of chances. Again, it's only four games and in the Washington regime with Rivera as the coach, he's a late bloomer in terms of the team getting better, getting better. But man, I'm not interested in going seven and ten. I'm not interested in going six and eleven. I'm not even interested in going nine and eight. I'm not interested in being mediocre. I'm not interested in being irrelevant. I either want to really stink so we can start building our team up, or I really want to be good enough to where we can start competing for championships. If the Cincinnati Bengals can turn around their season after the dormant and inept and incompetent and dysfunctions of that they've had year after year after year, decade after decade under the ownership of Mike Brown and then become the team that was only a couple of minutes away from winning the Super Bowl after going into the season. No one had projected them to be as good as they were. I mean, it seems like every team has that little moment in time where they're at that, where they're at that level. When has it been that way for my Washington Commanders, my Washington football team, my Washington Redskins? 
What has that been? I'm not going to vent. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lay on the couch and, you know, have to uh, do the psychiatrist stuff with my Washington commanders. But doggone it, man. Another loss to the uh, Dallas Cowboys, 25-10, to and they did it with a backup quarterback, Cooper Rush. Starting again at the quarterback position for the Cowboys for an intra Dak Prescott improved to uh, 3-0. and Now, getting back to the Cowboys, is there a quarterback controversy? Should there be a quarterback controversy? And, and here's what I'm talking about. Of course, I'm not saying that Cooper Rush should uh, replace um, Dak Prescott. I'm not saying that Cooper Rush is going to do to Dak Prescott what Dak Prescott did to Tony Romo or what Tony Romo did to Drew Bledsoe. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Why I say if there were controversy brewing in Dallas is because of this. As long as the Cowboys are winning, right? Should we make sure and not rush Dak, Brett, Dak uh, Prescott back into the lineup? I mean, the man's making $40 million, and um, it's a situation where, yeah, he's still young enough and he's still good enough that, uh, yeah, he's going to be the starting quarterback. And while Cooper Rush has been 3-0, and he's been undefeated, I mean, this is a guy who, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, if you're trying to compete at that level, which... Cowboys owner Jerry Jones has stated many times he wants to, and he's put his money where his mouth is. That yeah, you don't you don't do that with Cooper Rush. You do that with the defense that they have, but you don't do that with the quarterback that they have. The best quarterback that they have between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott to get them to give them the best chance to win a Super Bowl is Dak Prescott. That's the reason the man the man is making forty something million dollars. So, no, this is not a situation where I say quarterback controversy that, oh, should Cooper Rush be the one to replace Dak Prescott? And then in the offseason, the Cowboys look to trade or release Dak Prescott? No, 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 no. Again, what I'm saying is we have this, man, when is, when is Dak going to be back? When is Dak going to be back? You know, and then you're, when you're an athlete, when you're an athlete of that level, that you want to get back as, as soon as possible. I think more than any other sport, that's football. Where you have the desire, where you have the passion, where you have the go to itness to try to get back into that lineup as soon as possible, especially when you're speaking about the fluidity of the NFL in terms of, hey, man, you know, you could be the starter today and be out looking for a job tomorrow. Because when you're speaking about the salary structure of the NFL, it's not the guaranteeing contracts that an NBA player might uh, have or a Major League Baseball player might have. I mean, this is a situation where with the hard salary cap in the NFL that the guaranteed contracts are really not that guaranteed when you're speaking about an NFL player, no matter how great that they are. So because of that, and I'll get to that culture when we speak about Tua Tunga Vailoa and his situation coming back to the game on Thursday night against the Cincinnati Bengals, but it's that culture, it's that it's that way to try to get back for your team and also just pre- preserve your spot on the roster that's going to have Dak Prescott, you know, sooner rather than later say I'm ready to go, I'm good to go, let's do this, let's do that and the other. And if I can be back at 60% or 65%. Well, then, you know, I got to hurry and get back because, again, I want my job back. I want my position back. I want my security back. I want those things back um, that helps feed my family and, and, and that type of thing. So in this situation, the way Cooper Rush is playing adequately, that, hey, man, you know what? Next week against the Los Angeles Rams and you're going to be facing Aaron Darnold. Look, Dak, you had surgery on that finger September 12th. You had the stitch taken out of it 
on September 26th. We're speaking about the next game that you're going to play is October 9th. Man, how's your how's your finger? And of course, Dak's going to say, it's fine, it's fine. No, it's good, it's good, it's all good. I can play, I can play. Yeah, you can play. Yeah, you can function with it. But even though, again, we're four games in and we have 13 more games to go, the NFL is all about the marathon. And it's not a sprint. And with the Cowboys' expectations, a team that over the past 10 years has been one of the most successful in terms of the regular season when you're speaking about wins and losses, but yet and still only have two playoff wins to show for it, this, this is not about winning division championships. This is not about racking up a whole lot of wins in October and November. This is a situation where we want to be peaking. We want to be ready. We want to have the best opportunity to win the healthiest that we can be when the playoffs start in week 16 or week 17 to get us geared up for the playoffs. Yes, we're going to be under the assumption that the Dallas Cowboys, because of their but the division that they're in should be vying for a playoff spot, should be vying for that division championship, despite the fact that they're two games behind the Philadelphia Eagles four games into this season. So because of that, yes, it would be great for Dak Prescott to come back against the Los Angeles Rams if this was week 15, but not in week five, if Dak Prescott's finger is only going to be 50, 55, 60, 65%, and with the success that Cooper Rush is having right now, blending in, mixing in, in, integrating with that, with the totality of the football squad right now on all three phases, special teams, defense, and offense, there's no rush to bring back, to bring back uh, Dak Prescott. And there's no rush to put Cooper Rush on the bench. So that's where the controversy stems from. This is not a situation where if the Cowboys just keep winning, that all of a sudden that they should just keep Prescott on the uh, on the shelf? No. No. Whenever Prescott comes back to play, and again, as long as the Cowboys keep winning, it could be a situation where it could be week seven, week eight. It could be after the bye, depending upon when the Cowboys buy is. This is a situation where when Prescott comes back and if that, that finger is as healthy as it's going to be, and the Cowboys are still in a position to be fighting for a chance to win the NFC East division. Then this is an upgrade. It's a major upgrade. I don't want to hear some nonsense about Cooper Rush as a guy who should be a starting quarterback in the NFL. No, you're right. He should be a starting quarterback in the NFL for a team that wants to go 5-12. and 12, I think Cooper Rush would be a fantastic quarterback, starting quarterback for an NFL franchise who wants to go 6-11. and 11. But if you're looking to win a Super Bowl, if you're looking to win a championship, Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys over Cooper Rush, that is your guy. Because that defense, again, here speaking about the Cowboys on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, the defense is going to be the most important thing for the Cowboys' overall success. If you take a look at the limitations that the Cowboys have on offense, especially when you're speaking about putting up points, it's going to be the defense that's going to have to have Cowboys win games like 24-21, 17-14, 21-17, that type of thing. Unlike Kansas City or any other high-powered offense, it's not a situation where we can go ahead and have a mediocre to somewhat below mediocre offense or defense. And because of our offense and because of the greatness of our quarterback and the skill players that surround him, that we can win, a, that we can consistently win football games 31-27 or 35-31 or even 28-24. That's not going to be the case with the Cowboys. They need that defense to play well and play at a high level. But 
the good part is they have the defensive coordinator and Dan Quinn, and they have the defensive talent to do so. Not only just at the line of scrimmage, but also at the at the um, cornerback position and also at the linebacker position. The, the Cowboys, in fact, entered the week with just four red zone appearances by their opponents and only allowed one touchdown in the game against Washington. They haven't allowed 20 points from a team this season. And they haven't allowed one touch, and they've only allowed one touchdown in each of their games. And on Sunday, again, against my failing, faltering Washington commanders, they sacked Carson Wentz twice, intercepted him twice, and harassed him all game long. So, yes, Dallas winning with defense, and Dallas winning old school with defense and controlled balance offense. And again, you speak about, well, you know, hey, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. Let's take a look at Cooper Cup. Excuse me, Cooper, uh, Cooper, 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 uh, Cooper Rush for the uh, quarterback for the Cowboys. Let, let, let's take a look and see what his impact that he's having. Being a decent game manager. When you speak about the three-game winning streak that the Cowboys have been on playing against uh, Cincinnati, the Giants, and Washington, they've passed the ball 89 times. They've ran the ball 86 times. That's balance homeboy so Cooper Rush is averaging about 250 yards per game this is going to be a situation if you want to win a championship there's going to be opportunities there's going to have to be opportunities there's going to have to be moments where you're going to have to throw for 350 yards you're going to have to throw for 400 yards you're going to have to put the ball in the air like 50 times 45 times do you really if you're a Cowboy fan want Cooper Rush in that position and, and, and yes I understand that no one for the NFC no one in the National Football Conference has stood out so far. I mean, we don't we don't know what's going to be happening long term with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of their injury situation. We don't we don't know what's going to be happening with the Los Angeles Rams. We don't know in terms of their in terms of their greatness is not the word, but in terms of their viability to win a championship, we don't know what the San Francisco 49ers are going to be. There's not that one team. Even the Philadelphia Eagles, who are right now four zero, there's still questions about that squad and how good they are, how legitimately good they are in terms of defining legitimately good as the possibility for the Philadelphia Eagles to win a Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts being that guy at quarterback. Yes, despite the early season success, there are, there still are some factors. There's still some questions that need to be answered. So, so, so yes, the Cowboys don't need to be unbelievable as far as offense is concerned to win themselves a championship but uh you know they're going to need that defense to uh play well and they're going to need that offense to do some things and they're going to need that offense on a couple of games this season to put up 31 points to put up 35 points even put up 42 points Dak Prescott gets them the best opportunity to do that on a consistent basis not Cooper Rush Dak Prescott of course gives them the best opportunity to win a game because of the quarterback Unlike Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush is never going to win a game because Cooper Rush was the MVP or Cooper Rush put the team on his back and led him toward a win. He's not going to be able to do that. That's not his job. That's not his role. That's not his talent. That's not his responsibility. For Dak Prescott making forty-something million dollars a year, you better goddamn right believe that uh, he's going to be he's going to be called on to do that a few times this season. And despite the fact that they don't have Amari Cooper, despite the fact that uh, we're watching the last remnants of 
uh, impact that Ezekiel Elliott can have, despite the fact of the inconsistency of the offensive line. You've got C.D. Lamb at the wide receiver. You've got the return of Michael Galloway at the wide receiver. Dak, go out and win a couple of football games for us. Dak, go out and be responsible for the Cowboys scoring about 35 to 42 to 45 points. That's what's the responsibility of a guy who was making over $40 million is supposed to do. That's Dax Prescott's responsibility, not Cooper Rush. My thing, again, the fact that for Prescott to be that guy, I would like or give him the best opportunity to be that guy, let's not rush him back, especially when the Cowboys are playing as well and winning games like they're doing right now. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, where are we going to go? Baltimore? <laughs> Buffalo's winning over Baltimore 23-20. Ooh, I know the folks up 95 are sitting there going, you got to be flipping kidding me. Um, Josh Allen, quarterback for the Bills, drove, the, uh, drove Buffalo down the field. Tyler Bass made a 21-yard field goal. The time expired for the victory. Again, you could say that it was the Ravens who snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. This was the second time, y'all. Man, this was the second time this season that Baltimore has lost a game after leading by 17 or more points at home. We're four games in. They blew it against the... Who did they blow it? They blew it against the Jets and Joe Flacco. And then they blew it against uh, the Buffalo Bills. The Ravens led 20-3 late in the second quarter before watching Buffalo score 20 uh, straight points. And Baltimore became the first team in eight years to lose multiple games at home when leading by 17 or more points. Man, that's got to sting. That's got to hurt. Of course, there's a whole lot of time for Baltimore to recover and regroup and all those type of things. And you are speaking about, you know, John Harbaugh, who's a Super Bowl coach, and this, that, and the other, Lamar Jackson, who's an MVP and one of the best quarterbacks in the game and their culture and all all those type of things. Yes, but man, you know, a loss like that, it happened in week four. A loss like that, what are the ramifications? What's going, how, how is that going to impact them Week five, six, seven, eight, and beyond. Gotta remember, man, the Cincinnati Bengals, ten days off. They seem to have be getting their mojo back. Joe Burrow is starting to play a lot better. They're starting to adjust to an improving but still creaky and mediocre offensive line. So the Bengals are starting to play much better football. This loss on Sunday with Baltimore over Buffalo. How long is that going to linger? Is it going to linger at all? We'll, we'll figure it out. In a two or three Baltimore Ravens squad, depending upon how Lamar Jackson plays, it's going to start the old, hey, Lamar, hey, contract, contract, you don't have a contract, contract, you don't have a contract, what's going on with the contract? Are you looking to now negotiate a contract? What's going on with the contract? All of a sudden now, when you start losing, all of that bullshit starts coming into the forefront, and now you've got to speak about that bullshit, and that bullshit becomes a distraction, and it takes away from your uh, opportunities, or it takes away from uh, the uh, deal that you have in terms of winning football games. So we'll, we'll see how long this is going to last. Now, for those who might want to sit there and say, the decision by John Harbaugh with the game tied in the fourth quarter at 20 to go ahead from the two-yard line on shotgun formation and Lamar Jackson throwing a pass in the end zone 
late in the fourth quarter instead of kicking the field goal that would have given the Ravens a three-point lead with about four minutes left to go. Is that somehow, some way, is that decision going to uh, turn the locker room? Are they going to start tuning them out? Are they going to start losing faith? Are they going to start losing trust? All that type of nonsense. The great thing about it with John Harbaugh is, yeah, I didn't agree with the call. I thought it was kind of sketchy. Number one, I'm not an NFL coach, so who really gives a fuck what I think? But it was kind of like, you're not taking the field goal. Yes, I know in the NFL you play for touchdowns, not field goals, and all those type of things, the way that the game is uh, played, the way that the game is officiated, the way that the rules are. But, man, you, you I mean, you hadn't scored at all in the second half. You had the ball at the two-yard line, and you're going to put it in shotgun formation? You're not going to spread them out? You're not going to give Lamar a chance to do a thing? Really? Interesting? So... For those who are thinking that, man, that's going to uh, screw up the locker room, man, that's going to turn the team against him and all this kind of stuff, Harbaugh has been consistent. Harbaugh is aggressive. This is the way he plays. This is the way he does it. Now, he hasn't been put in a situation like this before, but the players love him, the fact that, you know, he's going to be aggressive, that he's going to go for it, that he's going to do a thing. There's been situations where he has shown that maybe not to this degree, as in this uh, Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, but still, the M.O., the modus operandi for John Harbaugh, the coach for the Baltimore Ravens, is to be aggressive, is to be challenging, is to take that risk. So this is not something that's that's out of the picture. And I guess as far as, man, no matter what you do, no matter what you are, no matter what profession you're in, if you have a supervisor, if you have a boss, if you have anything of that magnitude, as long as that person is consistent in their beliefs, in their philosophy, and how they do things, then you really shouldn't have a problem. So I know Marcus Peters got bent all out of shape and had to be restrained and all that type of stuff. But you know, this is what John. This is what uh, Harbaugh is all about. This is what John Harbaugh is all about. This is what he does. Again, did he take it to levels that might have been extreme in this situation? Uh, maybe, possibly, arguably. But uh, I'll get to them in a second. That's not the reason why them going for it on fourth down is not the reason why the Baltimore Ravens lost this game. So any any lingering effects in terms of the season going sideways through what happened with this call with Harbaugh late in the fourth quarter somehow splitting the locker room and causing animus and causing distrust, that's not happening. I don't, I don't think that would be happening. Again, with the score tied at 20, with around four minutes left to go in the final quarter, the Ravens had second down from the Buffalo Bills one-yard line. Two straight runs failed to reach the end zone, so on fourth down, he decided to go for it. Fourth down from the two-yard line. So Lamar Jackson scrambled around, threw a pass in the end zone that was intercepted by Jordan Poyer for a touchback. The worst thing about it is, and Harbaugh said this in the press conference, he was speaking about, look, you know, if they failed, there's still four minutes to go. They got the ball on the two-yard line. We got a really good defense. We could stop them, and we could be in the same position again, this time to kick a field goal with no time left. So we wouldn't even have to put ourselves in that decision. But when... Lamar through that interception, instead of Buffalo getting the ball on their own two-yard line, it was a touchback, and they got it on their 20. So anything and everything that could go wrong went wrong for Hallball on that call and all that play. Um, Buffalo drove, drove the ball down the field. They got help with an absolute... Did you see that roughing the passer call that was called on uh, Baltimore? That was horrible. That was terrible, man. That, that, that's, that's a call that you make 
if you have a quarterback from the 1970s or the 1980s with frail physiques or something like that, man, Josh Allen is about six foot seven and probably weighs about 260 pounds. The cornerback or the secondary guy that was going up to uh, try to try to uh, put him on his ass would look like to be about 5'11", 160, well, 5'11", 195. And because of Allen's elusiveness, the guy slowed up a little bit because he didn't want to go out of there out of control. And we're speaking about, really, he didn't throw him down. There was no anything in terms of Allen's head hitting the turf or anything like that. It was a bad call. It was a horrible call. It was an atrocious call. But that roughing the passer uh, penalty helped get the Bills into position to kick a game-winning field goal, which they did. See you later. Game's over. Yay, yay, yay. If you're the, uh, if you're the Buffalo Bills who uh, improved the 3-1, and one, and the Baltimore Ravens, who are now, uh, as I mentioned before, 2-2. Two and two. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah, before I go on to Philadelphia, just one more time. Look, man, for those who want to sit there and say that was the reason why Baltimore lost because of that decision that was made by John Harbaugh, no, 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 no. Hey, Baltimore, here's here the plan. You got, you're up 20-3 to three, midway through the second quarter. I don't know. Maybe continue to put your gas foot on the pedal and score more points. How about that? The offense went absolutely dormant. They didn't score a touchdown. They didn't even get into the red zone until that one play late in, or that one drive late in the fourth quarter. So this was the situation where they had ample opportunities to put their foot on Buffalo's necks and squeeze, but they didn't do it, and and it cost them. So a lot of stuff going on, and and and, and even though, again. The interception, because of the interception, the players didn't execute the play. The defense didn't make any stops. It's not like the not like the uh, when Buffalo stopped them at the uh, at their goal line that they got the ball in field goal territory. They still had to drive the length of the field to do uh, to get themselves in position to kick a very easy field goal, which they did. Don't blame Jim. Don't play uh, John Harbaugh on that one. That was the defensive fault for being unable to uh, make a play. So, yeah, for those who just want to put all of the blame on John Harbaugh, come on now. Come on, y'all know better than that. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So after four weeks, y'all, four weeks, there's only one undefeated team left. The Philadelphia Eagles beat Jacksonville 29-21 in a, in a game that featured, um, what's that shit, um... Because I live out here in Vegas, so um, what do y'all call when like water falls from the sky? It was such an amazing, interesting scene. Water falling from the sky, like it drops. Sometimes bigger drops, but it was falling from the sky. Water falling from the sky. That is so unbelievable because out here in Las Vegas, living out here in a fucking desert, we don't get that. We get hot and sunny, hot and sunny. Hot and sunny. And then after that, we get hot and sunny. No, 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 no. We don't get cloudy. No, 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 no. We don't get breezy. No, 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 no. We, we don't get overcast. For most of the time, we're getting hot and sunny, hot and sunny, hot and sunny, hot and sunny. Can I get a breeze? Can I get a cloud? Can I get something under 95 fucking degrees? <laughs> but yes, rain. Ooh, it was raining. It was raining out there in uh, Philadelphia. Man, let me tell you something. When it rains out here, people stop what they're doing. People stop what they're doing and just run outside and it's like, ah, 
rain. We don't drive in it, but uh, we still do, uh, you know, acknowledge when it comes on down. But uh, the weather conditions, the weather conditions in Philadelphia were not good. But uh, Philadelphia showed something that they haven't shown before this season in terms of whether they're legit or not. They won an ugly game. They won a game where they didn't bring their A game to the uh, to the stadium. And they still found a way to win. The team, the Eagles, as a whole, rushed for 210 yards against the Jaguars defense that allowed just uh, 55 yards per game. Mike Sanders, running back for the Eagles, he ran for a career-high 132 yards on the ground. The defense, the Eagles defense, managed to get five takeaways, including four fumbles. Trevor Lawrence had a hard time holding on to the football, led to three Philadelphia touchdowns in the final one ceiling the deal sealing the victory for the Eagles. I guess now four games into the season. What's your glass with the Eagles right now? Hmm? Let me ask you. What do you think? Half full? Half empty? What do you think? Where do you fall on the Eagles right now? I don't know. I, I, it all depends, I guess, what your, what your definition is in terms of half full, half empty. Like, what are your expectations for the Eagles, right? Because if you're saying, man, I want the Eagles to win the Super Bowl, this, that, and the other, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Of course, after a game like this, you're going to veer in the direction that the glass is half full. If you're a hater and a little bit of a realist, you could say that, well, I mean, yeah, Jacksonville, this is Jacksonville. And while they're improved, this is Jacksonville starting a guy, Trevor Lawrence, who, yeah, he, he's better than he was last year. With that organization, with that clown they had at their coach and, and everything, could they have gotten any worse? At least they have an adult running the uh, running the organization right now. But uh, Trevor Lawrence is still a guy who's still learning. He's still in his second year, so okay. And again, I go back to it. If you're a Philadelphia hater or you're looking at the uh, glass-half-empty perspective of what's happening with the Eagles, you just say again, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts at your quarterback. That doesn't roll off the tongue like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Tom Brady, like a Lamar Jackson, like a Josh Allen, like a Joe Burrow. It, 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 it doesn't, does it? I mean, do you feel that? Because I don't. And yeah, you know what? Devonta Smith, talented Heisman Trophy winner, this, that, the other. He's going to be good. He's going to be. He's going to be. He's going to be. But he's not there yet. He's not at the level of A.J. Brown, even though I just think on pure natural ability that Devonta Smith has more than A.J. Brown. He's not there yet. Second-year man out of Alabama, can you can you count on him? Can you count on the Mike Sanders? How much can you count on the defense? Can you count on the defense more than you can the offense? And what does that mean again with Jalen Hurts being your quarterback? Glass half full? A glass half empty. You take a look at the team that they beat in this four-game winning streak that they have so far to start the season. They beat the Detroit Lions 38-35. When we've seen today in that game against Seattle that the uh, Lions, uh, pretty poor on defense. Uh, not the first time they've given up a lot of points. Best win of the season came against the uh, Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football of Week 2. Very strong second quarter against the Washington Commanders and then put it on uh, cruise control in their 24-8 win last week. And then they beat the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and a less than stellar, pretty efficient, dominating type of game for them. So combined the record of the Lions, the Commanders, the um, the uh, Minnesota Vikings, and the uh, Jaguars, we're speaking about 7-9. Okay, they're not 2-14. Okay, they're not, uh, you know, 6-10. and 10. 
But still, I'm looking for that one, one victory that the Eagles are going to have. Maybe it's going to be against the Cowboys. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be against the Rams. I don't know. But I'm looking for that one game. I'm looking for that one performance against that one really good team. And it's not their fault that they haven't played one yet. I'm just saying, before I start going gung-ho all into the notion that the Philadelphia Eagles are true elite contenders, that they're going to be this season's Cincinnati Bengals, I need to see a little bit more. I need to see a little bit more. Mainly, as I mentioned before, I'm just not feeling the uh, Jalen Hurts is a guy who can take a team and win a Super Bowl. Not just yet. Not just yet. I could be proven wrong. Maybe I would be. But as of right now, my guess is glass half empty on the expectations of the Philadelphia Eagles being one of the teams as of right now that should be at the top of the list or near the top of the list in the NFC or even in the NFL to win themselves or have the best chance or have a really good chance of winning this upcoming Super Bowl. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Just mentioned before the Kansas City-Tampa Bay game being over. And I mentioned before Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. It, it, it was one of those games, I think, where Patrick Mahomes said, just in case you all forgot who I was, just in case you all forgot about what I was all about, just in case you all forgot about my greatness, just in case, because, you know, I hear you all talking about uh, Josh Allen being the MVP. I hear all this stuff talking about uh, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson being the MVP of the season so far. I hear all this nonsense about, ooh, we're in trouble because of the Las Vegas Raiders getting themselves Devontae Adams and the Denver Broncos getting themselves Russell Wilson and uh, the Kansas City and, excuse me, and the uh, LA Chargers with Justin Herbert and he's going to be the face of the league and he's going to be the MVP. Hell, I even heard this season from a couple of folks before he broke his ankle. I heard the folks before this season started that that, that, that Trey Lance was going to be a guy that was going to be an MVP candidate. Man, everybody's forgetting about me. I'm already at that Michael Jordan. I'm already at that LeBron James. I'm already at that level already in terms of my greatness and now being taken for granted. And now because I'm no longer that shiny toy that people can play with, I'm no longer the flavor of the month. I'm no, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer that interesting storyline that's going to get people's attention. I'm no longer that guy because I just now have a consistency of excellence which people take for granted and people expect that all of a sudden now you're going to turn your attention to something else that's more sexy, that's more attractive, that's more uh, interesting. Like Josh Allen winning his first championship and bringing Super Bowl championship to Buffalo and all that type of nonsense or Lamar Jackson's contract extension or or contract negotiation and the rise of Jalen Hurt from second round draft pick who was supposed to be only a backup now to leading a team that's been fantastic, a team in Philadelphia that is the only team in the NFL through four games that's undefeated. All of a sudden now y'all are looking for new narrative to keep yourselves interested. Again, my name is Patrick fucking Mahomes, and I'm one bad motherfucker. So let me tell you something right now, man. Don't be sleeping on me. Again, let me kind of give you a taste. Let me remind you motherfuckers about how great I am. And he came out against, um, he came out against the greatest, the GOAT, 45-year-old Tom Brady, and a really, really good defense in Tampa Bay on the road and made them look silly and made them look silly. So it was it was something else. If Kansas City is playing like that, again, uh, Buffalo, um, all these other teams that are supposed to be, you know, doing some things, and all, all those who are 
preaching and all those who are talking about the demise of the Kansas City football team. Mm-mm. Patrick Mahomes is there to say, wait a minute. Now, we can kind of contemplate, we can have the discussion about how much of that performance was Patrick Mahomes-based excellence, unbelievable, don't forget who he was, greatness. Mixed in with how much of it was just Tampa Bay having a bad night, Tampa Bay not having any balance at all on offense, Tampa Bay dealing with the um, weather conditions or the real-life conditions that's happening in Florida Florida with Hurricane Ian. How much did that play into the, I don't know, I get that. They, Tampa Bay was, was sloppy. Tampa Bay was uh, was not focused. Tampa Bay came out flat. Tampa Bay had some bad turnovers. Tampa Bay never really got themselves into the game. Tampa Bay kind of lacked the fire that they should have had playing against a team like Kansas City. How much of just real-life situations? you got to remember, these guys are living in Tampa. So these guys are living in a situation where they are dealing with a hurricane. And you're speaking about men who are fathers, men who are husbands, men who are taking care of family members. So all of this bakes into the stew, bakes into the cake, in terms of what they're going to present to the customers on Sunday night against a team in Kansas City who played really, really well. So how much of a discrepancy was Tampa Bay being flat? Tampa Bay, through no fault of their own because of dealing with real-life situations, came in and put up that type of performance? Or was it something more should we look at as Kansas City elevating themselves? Because if they're going to be playing at that level, if the difference in competition... The level of competition that Tampa Bay, that the Kansas City showed against Tampa Bay, then I don't care what Justin Herbert does. I don't care what uh, Vaughn Miller and the newly vamped defensive line of the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen does. I don't. I don't give a damn what about anything anybody on any team in the NFL is going to do. If that team, Kansas City, shows up to play against anybody. And we take into account that it was more about Kansas City being the being the shits more than Tampa Bay dealing with other issues. If that Kansas City team is going to show up, turn out the lights, the party's over. How am I mixing that with Teddy Pendergrass? I don't know. Much. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. The fact that, man, that's a bad, bad squad that's uh, hovering in Kansas City, Missouri. So give it up. Congratulations for them. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me go ahead and speak about this. Oh, you know what? Let, let, let's speak about this. Before I get to Tua's injury, I was looking this up because last year, because, you know, you take a look now, what's going to be happening, I think, after this victory over Tampa Bay that um, Kansas City is going to be the number two ranked team. I guess when you take a look at the power rankings, in the NFL, because of their record last week, it was Miami, the number one team in a lot of prognosticators, power rankings, their loss to uh, Cincinnati on Thursday night, coupled with the injury to uh, Tua, it's going to move them down a bit. Now, Philadelphia, again, the only team in the NFL that's uh, undefeated. They're going to be the number one ranked team, I guess you could say, in the power rankings, followed by, uh, I would imagine, Kansas City, and you have a bunch of three and one teams out there. So, you know, it's going to be a situation where we're going to be speaking about, ooh, wow, ooh, how much is Dallas going to move up? And Dallas is going to be now in the top seven, top eight because of that defense when we take a look at the power rankings. So, starting tomorrow... Or this is coming out, I'm doing this on a Sunday night, so I'm going to be publishing this, and it's going to be coming out on Monday. So starting Monday, we're going to start be having, we're going to have these discussions on the uh, Talking Head shows, on the uh, Greenberg show, and the Shannon and Skip show, and 
and the uh, Screaming A. Smith show and all them places and the radio and the podcasts and all this stuff talking about the best teams, the blah, 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 the power teams, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to be, you know, talking in absolutes about, ooh, wow, Philadelphia, 4-0, and this, that, and the other. Ooh, wow, golly gee, bet you my golly, wow, I can tell that the Eagles are legit Super Bowl contenders. Well, let's kind of think back a little bit. Because last year, after four games, if you check the power rankings, and I did according to the NFL.com site, the Arizona Cardinals, after week four, were the number one team, or what the number one team in the power rankings. And they were the only undefeated team. They had just beaten the Los Angeles Rams on the road, 37-20. to Kyler Murray was the MVP candidate after that game. They were the flavor of the month. They were the talk of the town. Tampa Bay was ranked number two. They were 3-1. and one. They had just beaten uh, New England. Remember, Tom Brady's return to New England. Sunday night football game, and they played in the monsoon, the downpour, and ooh, Matt Jones. He played so well against Tom Brady. We don't have to worry about New England's situation at quarterback. This Matt Jones kid, this first-round draft pick from Alabama, he seems like the real deal. Buffalo was ranked number three. They were three and one. They opened up their season losing against Pittsburgh, and everybody's like, what's going on? Then they won their third game in a row, blowing out the Houston Texans 40 to, no- 40 to nothing, and they... And everybody started to exhale a little bit until they went through a little bit of their uh, down uh, downtrodden games. Coming up, Green Bay, Baltimore, Dallas, the Chargers, they were all 3-1, and one, and they were ranked number four and number seven. The two teams that, or the four teams that made the conference championships, and the two teams that played in the Super Bowl, and the team that won the Super Bowl at that time, when you're speaking about the Rams, Kansas City, San Francisco, and Cincinnati, week four, 2021 power rankings. The Rams were ranked number nine. They were three and one. Kansas City was ranked number eight. Number eight. They were two and two. And things were going to get a lot worse for Kansas City before they got a lot better in terms of what's what's going on. What's the what's the matter? What's wrong with the uh, Kansas City football team? San Francisco, who made it to the NFC Championship game, was ranked. Number 13 in the power rankings after the fourth week in the 2021 season. They had a 2-2 two two record. And Cincinnati, even though they were 3-1, and one, nobody was believing in them. They were ranked number 15. And they almost won the doggone Super Bowl. My point to all this is, hey man, whatever comes out with these power rankings, whatever's going to be happening, you take, you take them with a grain of salt. You do, because you just, you just never know. Tampa Bay lost... In the second round of the playoffs, the Cardinals were blown out by the uh, Rams in the wild card game. Buffalo played a, um, you know, they played a uh, classic against the uh, Kansas City football team, but they lost in the playoffs. Green Bay, which finished the season thirteen to three and was the number two, fourteen to three, something like that. But they were ranked number one. They lost to. Um, San Francisco at home. Baltimore faded. Dallas faded. The Chargers didn't even make the playoffs. So, you know, as I mentioned before, take all of these rankings so far with a grain of salt again Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you can be with us okay very quickly let me take let me take a few moments here to speak about the game the horrible head injury that was suffered by Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tunga Bailoa in their 27 to 15 loss to the um to the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday in the game against Cincinnati with about six minutes left to go before halftime, Tungabailoa hit the back of his head on the ground after being chased down by Bengals player Josh Tupo and remained down on the ground for about 10 minutes before being placed on a stretcher. 
stabilized and rushed to the hospital. Yes, it was a very, very, very concerning and uh, disturbing sight. Tungavaloa was discharged Thursday night, this past Thursday night, in time to meet his team at the stadium in Cincinnati wearing a neck brace and traveled back to Miami. He went back on Friday, underwent tests after he sustained head and neck injuries. I'm not going to even discuss in terms of when he's going to be back and this all, all that kind of stuff. The thing, I guess, this whole deal and this whole conversation, it all started the week before against the uh, Buffalo Bills when Tua was concussed in the first half but was allowed to re-enter the game in the second half. It was, if you, if you remember, he slammed his head against the turf in the second quarter uh, in the game against the Bills. And as I mentioned before, he looked like Trevor Burbick when he was knocked down against uh, Mike Tyson. He was stumbling and fumbling and bubbling around the ring. Well, that was what Tua did after the play ended. He reached for his helmet with his hands. He struggled to get to his feet, fell after a couple of steps. I mean, you could see that he was done. And look, again, as Chris Collins was worth said on the game tonight when speaking about this, look, man, I'm no doctor. I'm no orthopedic. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in concussions or that type of thing. But when, when someone is, is, is behaving like that, something's wrong. Something's wrong to the point where they should not be coming back and playing in the second half. Now, this was kind of like water washed under the bridge, even though, you know, the, the investigation going on is such about, well, it's, it was really copacetic for Tua to go back into the game and such. So it hadn't completely gone away. But in your mind, in my mind, in the fans' mind, for the most part, because of how well he played Tua in the second half against the Bills, that it was a situation where I'm like, okay, he's fine, no big deal, da da da, you probably shouldn't have come back. We're all ignorant about concussions for the most part because we're not doctors. We're not experts in the field. So we see the guy come back. He said he was fine. He sounds fine. I don't know. Looks like he's doing good to me. I guess, you know, I guess everything is okay. I'm a, I got a wife and kid in a nine to five. I don't really have time to be worrying about concussions and two of tongue of Iloa and such. So we just went on the assumption because these guys provide us the entertainment value for our lives on Saturdays and Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays or whatever, being football players, be it college or pro, that we're just just guessing that he just was going to be okay, that Tua was just okay and everything was going to be cool. But then we saw what happened on Thursday. We saw that man lying on the ground for 10 minutes, and we saw him being stretchered out of the stadium, stretchered off the field. All of a sudden now, it's like, holy shit, what the fuck happened with this? Oh, my goodness gracious. Then we got back to, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that, you know, in the game against uh, Buffalo, that he slammed his head on the turf, and he was wobbling around, and he came back in the second half, and now he's playing in a football game four days later, and what is going on? This is horrible. This is terrible. And the fact that the um, Dolphins said that Tua had suffered back in ankle injuries and not a concussion. I mean, what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And the NFL, which is always a lightning rod for controversy concerning safety and other things, that, you know, people are going to take the thought process of the NFL is doing another player dirty, of the NFL not caring about the player, the NFL only thinking about the bottom line, the NFL not really treating these guys like the human beings that they are playing a very violent and destructive sport for their bodies. So we, we went from Tua played well in the second half against the Bills, Miami 3-0, unbelievable. Tua showing his toughness. He won a lot of, uh, he got a lot of respect from his players and a guy who was supposed to be injury prone and now he showed the toughness and all those type of things, something that he was lacking and blah, 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 and good for him and we'll just kind of forget about that. We go from that to in five days or four days, 
All of a sudden now, like, oh, man, what's up with two? I can't believe it. This is terrible. This is horrible. How did he play in the second half against Buffalo? Why is he playing tonight against Cincinnati? Why did the why did the, the Miami Dolphins list his uh, injuries as neck and ankle or back when it shouldn't be in concussion? What's going on with the NFL? What nefarious, underhanded um, means are the NFL, the NFL doing to its players now? Blah, blah, blah. So the narrative... And the discussion points and the opinions and the narrative that drives what we're speaking about all of a sudden becomes not talking about two of the football player in terms of what he did and his stats and his fundamentals and what he means to the team in terms of winning. We go from that to, oh my goodness gracious, let's kind of think about him more as far as a human being type of terms. And uh, it's just it's just interesting the way that we do those things. I was guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I was like you guys. I was like, hey, man, the guy played good in the second half. All right. Guy's got a doctor. Someone cleared him. They know about this more than I do. So what do I know? So how about that? It's 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 just it's just very interesting. So now we're having this discussion. Now we're having this debate. And when this usually happens, what is the first thing that we do, right? In a situation like this, we always want to find out who's going to be the scapegoat. Who's going to take the majority of the blame, right? Isn't that something? It's like, okay, so what happened to Tua? Is this the head coach? Is this the organization? Is this the doctor? Exactly where do we lay the blame? And what should be the consequences or the ramifications of what happened to Tua? Now, you know, there were situations where um, you had doctors saying, hey, we checked them out and we did this. And we, so we have people now trying to cover their ass because they don't want lawsuits and they don't want to be fired even though the Dolphins did fire someone from their medical staff or fired someone um who was checking out Tua and found out that, uh, you know, this was a situation where, yeah, he made multiple mistakes dealing with this. I'll tell you what also. You know who's also to blame? You can blame the organization. You can blame the medical staff. You can blame the NFL. And you can blame Roger Goodell if you want to. You can blame Stephen Ross. You can blame Mike McDonald, the head coach. You can blame all these all these guys. Go ahead. But you know who else who else should be taking blame for this? In a very, 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 very minute Small way. Me and you. Your friends. NFL fans. Teammates. Yeah. We need to take the blame for this. Because we create this culture in the NFL that requires players to feel that they have to play through this situation. You know, what's the, what's the saying in the NFL? You can't help the club if you're always in the tub, how much pressure from teammates, coaches, the organizations, me and you, the fans, media, how much did that play into uh, into a being out there on Thursday night when he wasn't close to being 100%? We, we don't even know. Do we know for sure that Tua had a concussion? Do, are we sure about that on Thursday? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, we, we take a look and we sit there and what do we call Tua? What, what, what do some of us call Tua? Soft. Why? Because we take a look at his injury history. We take a look at how much he was injured in college. We take a look at the fact that his college career was um, ended because of injury. We take a look at the fact that the guy who was supposed to be the number one draft pick with a bullet without any question whatsoever and win a couple of the Heisman trophies didn't happen because he was injury prone. That word, oh, that word, injury prone. Ugh. 
boy, you have to actually take that. Because what do we equate injury prone with? Weakness. Softness. Being less manly, right? Isn't that, isn't that what you're implying in some way? If someone's going to be quote-unquote injury prone, isn't that in a small way attacking the man's manhood? Oh, he's, he's injury prone. You know, he's not tough. You know, he's missing too many games. You know, somehow, especially when you're a athlete of the highest level, like an NFL football player, I mean, that mentality that you've been, especially when you're playing football, that mentality that's been, that's been baked into you probably ever since you started playing the game of football in an early age, toughness, right? We, we equate football with toughness. Nothing's more tougher than playing football and blah, blah, blah. And you, you know, have to fight through injury and it's the mental thing and all this type of nonsense, right? Right? So if you're Tua and you're sitting up there saying, damn, you know, I've been having like injuries ever since I started to be the man in Alabama, man. This was the guy in October of 2018 where he tweaked his knee in a win over Missouri and was later revealed that he suffered a knee sprain, but he missed it, but he didn't miss any time, right? In November of 2018, during the late season game against Mississippi State, that Tua took a hard hit to his left quad and he set out the rest of the game. This was a situation in the fourth quarter of the SEC championship game against Georgia that Tua injured himself and then Jalen Hurts had to come in to save the day, right? This was a situation in October of 2019 that Tua suffered a high ankle sprain in the win over Tennessee, which caused him to miss a game. This was a situation in November of 2019, the end of his college career at the... Uh, at the hands of Mississippi State that he suffered a hip injury that prematurely ended his college career and took money from his pocket because it affected his draft status because there was the issues or there was the questions about A, how would he recover from this injury? How devastating or how bad was it? And B, he was being labeled as what? Someone who was injury prone. So you take a look at all of this stuff baked into this narrative yeah, Tua's going to be like, no, nah, man, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm just that and the other. I'm really good. And then when you're speaking about a quarterback who more than anything, when you're talking about the responsibility of grown men, fathers, husbands, businessmen, people paying bills, people you know, providing livelihood for people and for family members and such, Tua is an important part about that. Tua is an important role on that. Because if Tua can't get it done and the Miami Dolphins falter, then what's going to be happening? A new coach is going to come in. A new general manager is going to come in. And in the NFL, as I mentioned before, where you have contracts that are not guaranteed, and if you're some knucklehead who's living up to paycheck, or, or you're living your life from paycheck to paycheck, and you're not putting any money away in case something like this happens in terms of you losing a job or something cataclysmic or catastrophic happens financial to you, you could be making two, three, four, five million dollars but if you're living a lifestyle that requires you make four or five million dollars and you're living up to that four or five million dollars that you're making on your contract and then Tua goes out and gets injured and the team falters and the team uh, loses and the team doesn't reach expectations and because of that there's a new general manager, there's a new coach with his own vision, with his own plan. You could be a casualty. Then you're not making that two, three, four, five million dollars in the NFL. Now, if you're living a two, three, four, five million dollar lifestyle and then you lose your job, then you're in some trouble. And Tua is responsible for that to make sure that that offensive guard, to make sure that that running back, to make sure that the defensive tackle, to make sure that uh, people in that organization keep their jobs. 
And how is he going to have them keep their jobs if he's always going to be injured? So what does he do? He gets concussed and he says, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm not weak. No, I'm not injury prone. No, I'm not soft. No, I'm this and the other. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. That's what happens. So it's overcoming that stigma. I mean, just think about this. I mean, Tua was a guy who was drafted before Justin Herbert, right? Tua was a guy who was supposed to have a more impactful pro career than Mac Jones, right? So you see Tua, or Tua sees himself being, you know, Mac Jones, all the accolades, all the uh, attention, all of the things that are going on with him in New England. He hears and he sees about everyone fawning over Justin Herbert, that he's going to be the guy that's going to be the next face of the league and NFL MVP, and he's already a franchise quarterback and blah, blah, blah. And all of that is attached to Tua as in failure, bust, mistake. You don't think Tua with his ego, you don't think Tua with his competitiveness is going to try to uh, prove those people that he's wrong? You can't prove those people that they're wrong if you're always missing games and only fuels the fire that only fuels the thought that only validates the thought that people have that you are soft, that you are unreliable, and that the Miami Dolphins made a mistake in not selecting you. And how is it that a guy who was my backup at Alabama and Mac Jones is now like leapfrogging me leaps and bounds in terms of what he's doing in the NFL with all the attention that he's getting and all the accolades and all the good uh, uh, things said about him. So, man, man, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But I hope uh, I hope Tua is, uh, well, I hope Tua is doing better. And I hope Tua just gets his mind right, man. I mean, you know, hopefully you got another, I don't know, like 55, 60 years left to go in life. So, uh, you know, it ain't all about what you're going to be doing when you're between the ages of 22 and 32. Man, ask these guys with CTE. Ask these guys, these NFL players right now who are suffering these debilitating injuries or suffering these uh injuries in terms of uh, you know memory and everything that uh, that's attributed to head injuries i mean ask ask them how they're doing right now and was it worth it to quote unquote be there for my brothers i mean when you're 55 and 60 65 and 70 your brothers aren't going to be there for you your your wife is your children are and how difficult are you going to make it for them to take care of you because you wanted to be there for your brother's wife to win a football game? Give me a fucking break. All right, so it's just like, so once again, I hope that, um, I hope that Tua is doing okay. How much time do we got? Woo, man, was I going. When I get back, I got a boogie. I got to go ahead. I got to go ahead and practice my one-twos because I got to show my boy, Mr. Mora. I got to show my boy, Mr. Collins. I got to show my gal, Miss Mora. I got to show uh, Miss Walters. I got to show... These kids exactly what it's going to be all about. I got to teach them the one, two. I got to teach them getting down to the athlete brothers. I got to teach them, you know, in terms of the proper length that they need to be between each other. No bumping and grinding, none of that stuff that's school inappropriate. I got to teach them to be the gentleman in the lady like way to be dancing at this homecoming. So, uh, while I go ahead and y'all go ahead and listen and get on down to some things, I'm going to go ahead and practice my, practice my one, two. So, uh, so, so, so Mr. Wallace can get on down and, and show these kids exactly how to properly get on down to uh, what's going to be happening for them on Saturday at the homecoming up there in Mesquite, Nevada. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. One to me with the music, y'all.
get what you need sometimes, y'all. segment of the podcast last segment of the program welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us oh boy yeah that's some good stuff man that, that's some good stuff I told uh, one of my little buddies up there 11th grader is she, in, is she in 11th grade yeah she's in 11th grade going to be 17 this week I told her I'm like you know a pretty girl like yourself let me tell you something, man. There's going to be one of these knuckleheads who's going to fi- find out the power. He's going to find out that how, how great that Otis Redding is. And he's going to find these are to mine. And he's going to try to, he's going to try to, hey, what's up? What's going on? And you might fall for that nonsense. You might fall for that bullshit because you know how these boys are with these girls and you know how these girls are with these boys. I'm telling you right now, more. if he starts bringing out these arms of mine by Otis Redding, you call your father ASAP. You dial 911. Because let me tell you something. Otis takes it to another level. And Otis goes, these arms are mine. And when he gets past 50-something seconds, you're done. You're done. You are in his spell. So as soon as he starts, as soon as he puts on the music and you hear these arms up, run. Run. Get out of there. And if you can't call your daddy, say, Daddy. Yes, dear. I'm with um, I'm with John Doe. Yeah. He just put on Otis Redding. He didn't put on these arms from mine, did he? Yes, he did. I'll be right there. I will be right there. Daddy's going to go get the shotgun. Daddy's going to go get the baseball bat. And Daddy's going to do what Daddy's going to have to do. Because he, he, he knows that he's got about 50, 45 seconds before it's all over with. Before it's all over with. So that's what I'm talking about. I don't even know how I got to that story, but I told that story to the kids and they started laughing at me. I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, it's coming from me. Yeah, you laugh. But in the moment, let's see who's laughing. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, college football week five. We have a new number one ranked team in the country. Alabama is the new number one team, while the old number one fell to number two. Speaking about Georgia, why? Georgia lost to Missouri 26-22. Georgia was a four-touchdown favorite, trailed 13-0 in the second quarter after a sluggish offensive start. Marked by two fumbles, they didn't score a touchdown until there was 9.39 left in the game and then took the lead with 4.03 remaining. I was kind of, I didn't watch the game because I was in the other room, which didn't have the SEC network, and I was watching Clemson and North Carolina State, so I wasn't really in tune to it, but when I saw it, I was like, Missouri ain't beating Georgia. (laughs) I mean, Georgia's going to wake up and get the job done. Stetson Bennett led the comeback on offense, started 10 of 25 through three quarters, but then hit 14 of his next 19 passes. He finished with 312 yards. Look, playing the close game, and people are talking about, man, are we going to do this every week in terms of Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, mainly Georgia and Alabama? Are we going to be playing, you know, musical chairs in terms of every time someone has a mediocre to bad game that they're going to be replaced at number one? This was more, in terms of Georgia falling from the number one ranked team in the country, 
this was more than just uh, playing a close game against Missouri. That wasn't the only reason why they lost their number one spot. You remember what happened to them against uh, Kent State the week before? Yeah, they won 39-22, but it was like, you know, sleepwalking. It was uninspiring. And Alabama's the new number one ranked team in the country because of that. Now, look, man, as long as Alabama is, or as long as Georgia stays somewhere between number one and number four, it doesn't really matter, doesn't really care. Because you're going to be playing the conference championship game on a neutral field. If they make the playoffs, you're going to be playing each one of those games. If you're lucky to play the semifinal and final game on a neutral field. So whether you finish number one or number two or number three or number four, does it really matter? Maybe the team that you're going up against. But if you're Georgia and you just kind of sleepwalk your way through the regular season, you're still going to make the playoffs, right? And you still have the talent to beat in Alabama. You still have the talent to beat in Ohio State. You still have the talent to beat a, a, a Michigan or anybody else who might slide into the uh, number one spot or or someone like a, a USC in a situation like that. So does it really make any type of difference? So Alabama is the new number one ranked team in the country, had their best win of the season. Could you possibly say, I know Georgia's victory over Oregon in week one is going to loom in terms of Ohio State. And they beat Notre Dame, who was at the time ranked number five, even though we know now without question that that ranking was way too high for Notre Dame. But how long are we going to hold on to? And Oregon's been playing much better. Bo Nix and those guys have been playing much better than the opening uh, game of the season against the Bulldogs. But how much are we going to hold on to that week one performance by Georgia over Oregon in terms of the games that Ohio State that Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama play because I'm thinking that this victory that Alabama had over Arkansas on the road, 49 to 26, especially when you face the adversity that Alabama did on the road against a team in the top 20 on their on their home field, playing without their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback who went down um, before the second quarter. For them to have a 28 to nothing lead cut to 28-23, they had the old onside kick and a turnover and such, and the momentum was clearly on Arkansas' side, but Alabama made the plays to uh, pull away. I'm thinking, as of right now, yeah, again, Georgia's victory over Auburn, excuse me, over Oregon, yeah, but man, you could make a real case that in terms of the three teams that are most likely to uh, win a championship this year, that this victory by Alabama over Arkansas with the best of three this season. Um, Jameer Gibbs ran for 206 yards, two long touchdown runs. It looked like Alabama, what they didn't show against Texas, looked like they have some explosiveness to them. Now, what's going to be the injury status of Bryce, Bryce Young moving forward? And even if he is able to play the shoulder surgery or the shoulder shoulder injury that he has, how much is that going to be affecting them before He left the game with that injury, with that AC joint in his shoulder being hurt in the first half. He was 7-13 for 173 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, He was on the sideline and cheering and rooting and cheering his team on in the second half. But uh, Jalen Milrow, who looks like a young Cam Newton in terms of his uh, size is concerned, came off the bench, completed 409 passes for 65 yards and a touchdown. So he also ran for 91 yards. On a on uh, six carries and a touchdown. So next week, Alabama plays one of the more disappointing teams in college football, Texas A&M. Um, so we'll see. 
we'll we'll see what's going to be happening. I think Texas A&M, even though they are completely putrid on offense and the defense with all of their new players and their high five-star recruits and their Walter Nolans of the real world really haven't made a difference yet, I still think this is going to be a situation where Alabama is going to have to be ready to play and play a competitive game against Texas A&M. I, I'm just glad that uh, this whole Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher verbal verbal fight that they had is now over with. So we will have to be going on and on and on about that. And I'm quite sure everybody in the state of Texas or Alabama or everybody there is going to be glued in to see exactly what happens at the end of the game, win or lose, what is going to be the handshake uh between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, but who cares? Clemson is back. Is Clemson back to being Clemson? Speaking about this here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with George Truly, Wendell Walls. Is Clemson back to really being Clemson? I don't know. They, they beat Wake Forest in the shootout in overtime. The defense, the secondary looked awful. Then they played a more grinded out, physical, ugly, sluggish style in a 30-20 win against number 10, North Carolina State. How good is North Carolina State, even though they're ranked number 10? I've been mentioning the four best teams. Does this put Clemson as one of the four best teams? Did they look like one of the four best teams? Are they one of the four best teams? DJ Uyunglele, he threw for 209 yards and a touchdown, ran for 73 yards and two more. Yeah, he always looks like Man, he, he looks like if you're cheering for Clemson, when he goes back to pass, it's almost like, man, he it's almost like being on a tightrope when you watch him play, doesn't it? Because it's just like he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson. It's, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Does he look like a guy as far as somebody who could be that guy? Now, you say, could he be that guy who could put up a lot of points? Well, Clemson just got finished scoring over 45 against Wake Forest and now 30 against um, NC State two top twenty teams and NC State top ten. So what are you talk? What are you talking about? But I don't know. I don't know if he can go toe to toe against CJ Stroud in Ohio State. I don't know if he can go toe to toe against Bryce Young in Alabama. I don't. I don't know. And that defense that uh, Clemson has is not the defense that had them be one of the top, if not the top, program for about four or five years a few years ago. When you had all of those number one picks or number one uh, draft picks on the defensive line and such, uh, that's not that defense right now. So they're going to be playing games in which they're going to have to put up a lot of points. Can DJ and that offense really do that again when they don't have they don't have really super duper talent at the wide receiver position and really a jack of all trades at the running back position? But but, but still to put all of that on DJ. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to uh, see. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me get me out of here with this because I'm reaching almost an hour and a half. So let me let me get y'all out of here with this. This is really mainly for my man, Eric G. and uh, Coach Jones. They do a wonderful program over there at the Sports Animal in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 11 to 2 Central Standard Time. Make sure that you listen to those guys, my man G, getting it down. But this is really for them in terms of, I need to ask, what in the hell is going on with Oklahoma? With, uh, Oklahoma? My man, Eric G, a uh, Oklahoma graduate, guy knows to be a Big 12, guy knows Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. What What, what is going on with Oklahoma? Because I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. Um, they were embarrassed again. I mean, it was unacceptable to lose like they did to Kansas State at home. But this is beyond the pale, what TCU did to them. 55-24 to 24 on Saturday. 
the Sooners' defense, Eric, the Sooners' defense gave up scoring touchdowns of 73, 68, 67, and 62 yards? 668 total yards? Eric, 361 of those are on the ground? Coach Jones, what kind of ding-dong nonsense are we talking about here? TCU scored 41 points and produced 563 yards of offense in the first half? Oklahoma? Brent Venables? The guy who was one of the top assistant coaches for years as the defensive coordinator at Clemson? The guy who was supposed to correct all of those things? The guy that, Eric, you said yourself, when Lincoln Riley with the coach at uh, Oklahoma, that he only cared about the offensive side of the ball, and because of that, the defense suffered, and because of that, that what stopped Oklahoma from winning national championships or being real contenders for national championships? What is going on? What's happening out there? This was probably the worst loss that Oklahoma had as far as scores is concerned since they lost, what, 63-28 to um, LSU in the 2019 college football playoff semifinal? The worst conference loss since 2014 when Baylor beat Bob Stoops' uh, Sooner squad 48-14? to I mean, Eric, what in the John Blake is going on with that type of performance? Oklahoma came in ranked number six in the USA Today coaches uh, or uh ranking they're done they're finished now maybe it was unrealistic maybe it was just ridiculous period to think that Oklahoma should have been a squad that should have been considered to be one of the teams that could vie for a championship or vie for a playoff contendership or whatever but my goodness gracious man that's just unacceptable and inexcusable for a team for a program for a proud history in Oklahoma with their football team to be blown out to be embarrassed like this Eric Coach Jones what is going on has Oklahoma State now passed them in terms of the future of programs in the state of Oklahoma of college football I mean, are they closer to Tulsa than they are Oklahoma State being viable football programs moving forward? I don't know. I'm asking. I'm not, Eric, I'm not saying. I'm just asking. Because, man, that here's the sobering reality. The sobering reality that I have for this program moving forward. From a guy from the outside looking in. For the present moment, Eric, Oklahoma is not one of the premier programs in college football and we know how proud that community and that area of the country is in its Oklahoma football program not not just for years not just for decades but for generations I mean outside of the Oklahoma City Thunder Eric what do you got out there in Oklahoma what's going on what's your main deal I mean Oklahoma Norman that area I mean, you know, this this ain't Dallas, Texas. This ain't Houston, Texas. This ain't Chicago, Illinois. This ain't the Washington D.C. metropolitan area. This ain't Los Angeles. This is this is not Miami, Florida. This is not one of these cosmopolitan cities. This is Oklahoma. This is Oklahoma City. This is Norman. This is Tulsa. This is Stillwater. I mean, what what Oklahoma? That football program program is your pride and joy, right? Generation and generation, Eric, you're teaching your son the importance of being an Oklahoma fan, an Oklahoma football, a college uh, uh, football program. And now the sobering reality, the fact that moving forward, that a team that was once considered one of the elites 
of college football, Eric, they're not elite anymore. They're not elite anymore. That's a sobering reality right now. They, they, they can't. They're nowhere close to being on the same level as Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia. They're not recruiting at that level. They're not bringing in that type of sustained excellence and that sustained talent from the high school. They're not recruiting at the same uh, in the same areas or, or in the same parts of the country. I mean, Alabama, they get folks from all over the country. Ohio State, they get folks from all over the country. Georgia, they get four- and five-star recruits from all over the country. Now that Lincoln Riley has gone, what are you going to do? You're not going to be getting that wide receiver out of Los Angeles. You're not going to be getting that quarterback out of Western Pennsylvania. You're not going to be getting that defensive tackle out of Seattle that's four- or five-star recruit that's top 10, top 15 in the nation or top five at his position. Those guys are now going to be going to USC. Those guys are going to be going now to Alabama. Those guys are going to be going to Ohio State. Those guys are going to be going to Clemson. Those guys are going to be going to other schools other than Oklahoma. You might get maybe one or two, but to be sustained in terms of being able to play on the same level or have the same type of program at the elites of college football, which for decades you guys have been almost to the point where you took it as like, you know, par through the course. You guys right now are not on the same level as Clemson or Utah or Michigan. They're all better programs than you are right now. Along with USC, and that brings me to the second point where it must be killing folks out there in Norman, Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley. I know when he left, it was good riddance, who cares, this, that, and the other. Hey, man, despite having questions about how good they are, USC is ranked number six. They're undefeated at 5-0, and and they're doing it with your coach and your quarterback. Caleb Williams is playing like a top three or four Heisman Trophy candidate. His heir apparent, who was supposed to be going to uh, Oklahoma, Malachi Nelson, he decommitted to join Riley in L.A. So it's not like it's so it's almost like not only did you lose the love of your life, I mean he took the kids with him. <laughs> He's just like, geez, man. It's it's and, and I'm telling you, I don't know. Eric is going to the SEC in a few years. That is that gonna be the answer? I say no. Is it gonna be getting going back to, you know, once we get to the SEC, we start playing um we start playing Alabama and all these places, we'll be fine. The recruiting will pick up. No. You see what happened to Nebraska when they left the Big 12 to join the pack, the uh, Big 10? The shine is completely off Brent Venables, man. He was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to come in and fix the defense, right? I mean, a, a dip in the offense was expected because I know, I know, you might not think so, but uh, Lincoln Riley, you know, offensive genius. I don't know if we're going to go that far. I'm not Even I'm not going to go that far, but I mean, you know, the offensive mind of uh, Lincoln Riley was supposed to be superb. And it was a situation where, hey, man, we just bring in Brent Venables to improve greatly the defense that Lincoln Riley ignored. And while we might take a hit on the offensive side of the ball, we will improve enough on defense to where we can overcome that. Well, so far, you guys not only have not been good on uh, offense, despite the fact that you brought in one of the better offensive coordinators in the country, but your defense in which Brent Venables was supposed to, uh, you know, bring the new heights has been even worse than even you could have imagined on the worst case scenario. 
He was, he was hired to fix the defense and have the success that he had at Clemson as well as recruit defensive players similar to the impact that he had at Clemson. It was supposed to be Brent Venables who was supposed to be bringing in four five-star defensive tackles and defensive ends and linebackers and cornerbacks and safeties to where in three to four years they would be number one picks or they would be first-round draft picks in the NFL. Now, I'm, I'm, give the man time. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, it, it's ridiculous. It's ignorant. It's, you know, it's, it, everything in between as far as negative uh, adjectives to be thrown out there to say that Lincoln Riley, or excuse me, that um, Brent Venables is a bust. Brent Venables was a bad hire. Brent Venables can't get it done. That Oklahoma is doomed. I'm, I'm not, I'm not Eric Coach. I'm not saying all those things. But what I am saying is, man, for the near future, I don't know, two to three years, man. Should you just say eight and four, nine and three for those guys for Oklahoma? And, and, and can you really say now that uh, Oklahoma State, that program, and Stillwater has passed you guys by? Man, you're going to be going into the SEC area. Just think about. I mean, let, let's just think about some other things. The landscape of college football right now, outside of the SEC. Are you guys going to be able to keep up with Notre Dame depending upon the impact that Marcus Freeman has? He's already done great as far as recruiting is concerned and getting into uh, neighborhoods and getting into homes uh, for you know high five-star, four-star recruits that uh, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame before that never got into. Areas, Detroit, inner city areas and such to recruit college football uh, prospects that uh, Notre Dame never had before. So with that being said, right now, I think Oklahoma is a better college football program than Notre Dame, but how long can you keep that up? How about Mississippi? Again, Oklahoma State. Then going into the SEC, what are we going to be speaking about if we continue to see the resurgence of schools like Tennessee? What happens if Lane Kiffin stays at Mississippi? What happens if Bob St- or, um, uh, Mark Stoops stays at Kentucky? Is, is, is Oklahoma going to be able to sustain? Or is Oklahoma going to be able to keep up? Is Oklahoma going to be a better college football program than those guys are? What about Florida? What happened if they reached their potential? What about if Jimbo Fisher continues to play the best high school, pay the best high school players to go to uh, Texas A&M, and they finally get it meshing? We know how important recruiting is, right? I'm asking, I'm just asking questions. I'm not talking in absolutes. I'm not talking about this is going to happen. But these are the type of things, man, where you just got to be thinking to yourself like, man, man, these things are real concerns, these things really could happen. And we need to kind of prepare ourselves to fight those type of battles. Some will win. Some will lose. But where is the Oklahoma program, not just now, but years down the road? What are we looking at here? Where are we going here? Can Oklahoma ever get back to the perch that it was under Bob Stoops or Barry Switzer? I'm not going to even say Bud Wilkinson. That's like a couple of planets ago. But hell, Eric, can you guys get to the same level as Lincoln Riley? I don't know. I don't know. And that's all that I'm asking. And that's what all Oklahoma fans and college football fans who give a damn should be asking. All right, I'm out of here. Good to go. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review the most entertaining podcast thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you could listen to in closing as always as i say please take the time to get to know folks please take the time to get to learn from people who are from a different race a different gender a different background different political um, 
affiliation, uh, different religion, different financial background, different everything. Can we can we please take the time to learn from those people and to grow, to educate, so we can truly live in a society where we judge people on who they are as people in terms of their hearts, in terms of their uh, love for each other, their respect for each other, and don't, don't worry about a person's race or a person's religions or a person's gender and all of the ignorant stereotypes that uh, that lead us to such uh, ignorance and racism and bigotry and prejudice and and uh, privilege and those type of things. Can we just kind of like base people on who they are, put away the ignorant stereotypes and go on from there? Because if we do, man, you'll be surprised how awesome and wonderful you and life mesh together, mesh together can be. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. Get me out of here, y'all, with some music. <laughs>